0: EscapingTheCave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network, and at ETC Pod on Twitter. My mom says it won't last. Your mom's an alcoholic. Escaping the Cave? And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. That's Todd Zilla. Todd Zilla X Pod. Howdy, the Files. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Tanzilla X Pod. ChristopherMedia.net is the network. You can also hit my website up at uh, EscapingTheCave.com and Twitter at etc pod twitter twitter just avoid that there's no reason for you to go over there Really. got a long episode for you today just go ahead and thank me now go ahead you're welcome why are you thanking me this is the second attempt at the open after this weekend Recording this on Monday morning, or Tuesday morning, August 6th, rather. After this weekend, I started the record process and went about 30, 35 minutes on gun control and this ridiculous impeachment process. And the tension and anxiety that's permeating, that's just Suffocating and choking just about everything in the last few days, ever since El Paso and Dayton over the weekend. Tied it into the media, the media coverage, the wall to wall media coverage, blowing this to some degree and in some way, shape, or fashion, blowing all of this out of proportion, creating these tensions, these anxieties in almost everyone who has been exposed to it, while, of course, simultaneously providing you the solution. Well, vote for this guy, vote for that guy. You must vote this way to keep this from happening ever again. If you want to end this, you got to vote. Bullshit. I'm in danger of repeating the mistake. I'm not going to do that. But I will say... (laughs) At these circular gun debate conversations are ridiculous the <laughs> height of stupidity to continue to have the same conversations over and over and over again punctuated of course by thoughts and prayers my thoughts and prayers are with you el paso oh, oh, oh. <sighs> This episode, though, the reason that I went so long when I recorded the original open is that this episode that I'm about to present to you, this audio masterpiece, it directly ties into all of this. And the one thing that I want to keep in mind, the one thing that I want to impress upon you before you embark on this this journey of a podcast today, is that one of the ways, one of the best ways, perhaps, To tell if you're dealing with a propagandist is to investigate whether he is one of the people who is both creating the tension and providing the solution to the tension simultaneously. Is he inflaming you? Is he triggering you? Is he sending you into a fit, a ball of anxiety about the state of the world or the state of the country or the threat? and simultaneously offering you the solution. That's some fuckery. (laughs) You have to be a little more cynical, I'm afraid. A little more skeptical. And not only of the people you disagree with, but also of the people that you do agree with. And one of the reasons that I decided to cut this is that Chris and Rich are going to join me sometime this week. It looks like we're going to record maybe on Wednesday, so probably Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday Saturday-ish, toward the end of the week, we're going to dig into all this. We tend to go a lot further into politics when I have those guys on than I do typically with myself, and I want to focus more on the propaganda material that I've got. I've got a lot of stuff here, man. Have I said, oh, hey, take a shot. (laughs) But I'm finding some ties into Jonathan Haidt. I'll get into all this when I get into the podcast, but this is going in a surprising direction as I continue to extract this stuff. For me personally, it's more important to get this stuff out. We can deal with the politics stuff uh, later on uh, with those two. All right, without further ado, just to keep continuity... (laughs) In the podcast, since I had to cut the open. Uh, What we're going to talk about here is uh, from Jacques Ellul's propaganda. He's talking about alienation through propaganda. Now, alienation in his context is defined this way. To be someone other than yourself. This might be a little different than your interpretation of the word. To be someone other than yourself, belonging to someone else. Also, to be deprived of oneself, to be subjected to or even identified with someone else. I'm going to talk about that and how propaganda accomplishes such fuckery. The more I delve into this, the more I sort of sort it out, suss it out, and prepare it as distilled as I can, which isn't very distilled sometimes, I get that what I'm finding is that elephant thing, that the Jonathan Height insights are playing more and more and more into this whole thing. There is a larger connection to Height and the emotive reasoning, the post-hoc rationalizations, the post-hoc reasoning than I imagined. I'm seeing more and more of this. There's going to be a larger connection, I think, to this than I anticipated even a couple of weeks ago. But uh, what I'm talking about here, and I have been talking about, I will continue to talk about, at least in the short term, is Jacques Ellul and his book Propaganda. I've been featuring various sections on this, sort of going along as it goes as far as the psychological effects, how propaganda affects people. And today I'm going to talk about what he called alienation. I gave you the definition earlier. I'll repeat it. In this context, according to Ellul, alienation is not being alienated from society. We have this image, I think, of alienation, like, I'm just separated. I've been sort of ostracized and shoved away by everybody else. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about when he says alienation is to be someone other than yourself. You're alienated from who you, organically, the individual, you're alienated from the individual yourself. You belong to someone else. You've been deprived of your autonomy, your intellectual autonomy. You've been subjected to or identified with and as someone else. And he says this is definitely the effect of propaganda. He uses the example of communist propaganda, how its goal was to change the very conscience of the citizen itself, to change who the human being was to fit the doctrine. Strips the individual, robs him a part of himself, makes him live an alien and artificial life, a manipulated life. Becomes another person who's obeying foreign impulses, foreign impulses, external impulses. He obeys somebody else, but you've got to remember, you've got to take this and chisel it in stone somewhere so you always remember this. People subjected to propaganda do not consider themselves under the influence of it. Ever. Ever. They all think that they themselves have found the road to truth. That they've found the path to righteousness. How does it do this? Utilizes, increases, and reinforces the human desire to lose himself in something bigger than himself. We've heard this a lot in the last few years. Surrendering yourselves to something bigger. It's a way to dissipate the individuality. To free the ego of all doubt, all conflict, all suffering, through fusion with others. Maybe devote himself to a great leader and or a great cause. Height and Harari, in his book, uh, Sapiens, talk about this. We've heard this from Joe Biden in the last couple of years, we heard it from John McCain before he died. We heard it from Obama all the fucking time. And every new age hippie that I've prob- I think I've ever talked to has talked about losing themselves in something bigger, serving something bigger than themselves, devoting their life to a cause. I'll repeat this one line, to devote himself to a great leader and or a great cause. We have both of these going on simultaneously right now. You've got Trump Town over here, and then you've got these worshipers of the external god of cosmic justice over here. You've got the leader cult over here on the right, and then over on the left, you've got the humanist cult, the justice cult, worshipping their own god, their own cause. Both going on simultaneously in the same country, the same population. He says in large groups, man feels united with others. And uh, this ties into uh, Gustav Le Bon, too. Therefore, tries to free himself of himself. Let me say that again. He tries to free himself of himself by blending in. And resistance to this is not only futile, it's unwanted. They want this. There's an evolutionary aspect to this that ties into Haidt and Harari as well. I'll get to that eventually. There's something in our DNA that wants to be tribal, wants to be part of a group, wants to serve the group, and it's exploited through the mob mentality, the mass psychology. Freud, Bernays, Le bon, and now uh, Lul talk all about this. Identity politics exploits that. It's not hard to see. It's really easy to manipulate people like this. And it shoves the individual into the mass until the individual self disappears entirely. Now, what is it specifically that propaganda makes disappear? And he says that it's everything in the nature of critical and personal judgment. That's critical thought. You do not think for yourself anymore. It limits the application of even the need for actual thought. React according to the doctrine. The stereotypes. The programming. It limits thought by providing ready-made, unreal, quote-unquote, thoughts and those stereotypes. Ready-made. They're provided for you. Orients the herd toward very limited ends as well. Prevents them from using their mind or experimenting on their own. How does it do that? Well, propaganda determines the core from which all thoughts spring and establishes from the beginning a sort of guideline permitting neither criticism, imagination, nor discussion. This is not unlike what Noam Chomsky talked about in Manufacturing Consent, the notion of acceptable boundaries of discussion. The propaganda is allowed only a small deviation from the doctrine. Little tiny deviations away from it, but they're always within the general framework. Using Lul's example, progressives made some variations, quote-unquote variations, around the basic propaganda tenets of the Communist Party. But the field, the field of such variations, strictly limited. You're not going to get too far out there in left field or right field. <laughs> this is repackaging, man. You can put little spins and little variations on the doctrine. But when you dig down deep enough... You get through the rhetorical ostentation, decorating, this recycled, regenerated, generic thought and idea. They're always the same. They do not deviate from the doctrine, from the scripture. You can reword it all you want. Maybe you can add a few things here and there, but you're never going to get too far away from the core idea, which is always the same. What's mistaken for thought, then, when you have discussions with people who've had their minds hijacked like this, and they've become an organism or a cell in this generic organism. When you have conversations like that, what they are mistaking for thought is basically, again, rewording doctrine, deploying Heights Elephant, Emerson's retained attorney. If I know your sect, I can predict your argument, no matter how cleverly and ostentatiously you reword it. If you scrape the feces away, the little peanut on the inside is always the same. It's always a cashew or maybe an almond. Whatever. It doesn't matter what it's wrapped in. It's always the inseminated emotive conclusion. The argumentation is always the post-hoc reasoning and rationalization that Height talks about. There's a huge tie-in here. In fact, I dare say that if you're going to read this book by Elul, you should also make sure you pick up The Righteous Mind by height. Maybe The Happiness Hypothesis as well. Because I'm starting to believe, I'm coming to realize actually, that propaganda is basically the hijacking of this element. The taking over of this process. All you have to do is implant the emotive conclusion. And the individual is eager to let that elephant go. And if you can implant the emotive conclusion, you can let the elephant do the work for you. And if you provide the rationalizations and the justifications for it, it's effortless for people, man. It's easy. It's fucking easy. They don't have to think at all, they're just reacting, regurgitating, parroting. And the acceptance of this line of acceptable thought and intellectual limitations makes it clear that there is an obvious suppression of all critical judgment and thought at this point. It's a result of the crystallization of thoughts that I talked about, the attitudes and the creations of these realms of the sacred and the related taboos, things you do not criticize. There are certain things that are just off limits, sort of inside the cognitive temple. And to touch these things is blasphemy. He also says that all individual passion leads to the suppression of all critical thought with regard to the subject of the passion. When you are passionate about something, you're not thinking critically about it. You cannot think critically about something if you're passionate about it. This is obvious. With any kind of thought, with any kind of real thought about that, you can see why this is true. There has to be an element of detachment here, otherwise the passions overtake reason. Also, in the collective passion, and it is a collective passion created by propaganda, a critical judgment disappears altogether. And this is one of the one of my favorite lines in this entire book. In no way can there ever be collective critical thought. You can never engage. In critical thought with a group. Critical thought and groupthink are mutually exclusive. It's impossible to engage in critical thought when you're brainstorming with someone else. Can't do it. Critical thought is an individual act. At some point, they become incapable of separation, of discernment. Meaning the individual can no longer judge for himself because he inescapably relates his thoughts to the entire complex of values and prejudices established by propaganda. He has an operating system. When it comes to politics, they're given ready-made value judgments, invested with the power of truth by the number of supporters and the word of so-called experts. The echo chamber reinforces the fact that it's true because all these people believe it and reinforce it. It must be true. Oh, oh my God, there's experts over there. They're saying Maureen Dowd. Oh, she's an expert. Got to listen to her. What about Joan Walsh? Right? Oh, Sean Hannity, he says this is true. Look how many people listen to his, watch his program every single night. And you could apply this to the social media influencers as well. Their supporters... They're bona fides, all of it. Again, the number of supporters, the number of followers. Ben Shapiro's got 2 million followers. He must be (laughs) hawking some righteous truth, right? Or maybe he goes on some big podcast. Maybe he goes on the Rogan podcast or another one. While he's talking to Rogan, he has the support of this so-called expert. Now pick another podcast if you want. Doesn't matter. Same idea where you've got these social media avatars, social media influencing avatars, these big names, these experts. They're basically fluffing each other, giving each other some illusion of legitimacy. Is this simply because of the number of people who have chosen to digest whatever it is they're putting out? It's a product. And this is the danger of social media. This is the danger of these social media influencers getting entangled in this spider web because then it becomes a product if their legitimacy and their status is determined by how many people are following them eventually they will start crafting the product to draw an audience supply and demand they're going to put anything out there eventually that will attract more people especially if your followers somehow relates to your patreon account and how many donations you're getting Eventually, you're going to start selling your product one way or another. It's not that much different from television news, cable TV news, and why it is that they have sort of crafted this ideological product tailored to one boutique style or another. They want people of a certain political bent to know where they can go to get their Twinkie. And once they can do that, then they have a stable audience of consumers, and that's exactly what they are, informational consumers that they can deliver to the advertisers. Social media influencing is no different. If they If they give you the product you're looking for, if they give you the product you want, more people will follow them and more people will contribute to their patreon. It is there is really no difference here at all. At some point, you become a victim or you, you become a prisoner of your product. You've got to be consistent. If you think you're going to get a quarter pounder at McDonald's and suddenly all they're, all they're selling are Whoppers, what are you going to do? You can't change. You start changing, you're going to lose your base. You're going to lose your audience. You're going to lose your income flow, man. You can't do that. You become a prisoner of the product. <laughs> I could give you a radio rant here on freeform radio. They figured out, I had uh, consultants come in and tell me more than once they used the same goddamn analogy. When you go to McDonald's, you know it's on the menu, and that's what people want when they tune into your radio station. They want to know they're going to get their Led Zeppelin, which is horseshit, really, in the practical sense. But they're not wrong either. Beware the social media influencer. Status. He also says that uh, students and intellectuals integrated into propaganda are no more armed with critical thought than anyone else. I think that's important. <laughs> students and intellectuals. I should have put intellectuals in quotes here, I think. If they're integrated into propaganda, they are no more armed with critical thought than anyone else. You can see this on Twitter. Nor, I mean, people who are obviously highly intelligent, highly educated people in academia, you can tell they are no more armed with critical thought than some random dude from Oklahoma. They're thinking right along with the doctrine of the programming, the operating system, the same as everybody else. This individual has no chance to exercise judgment either on the main questions or on the question's meaning. It leads to the atrophy of a faculty that's not ever used. Critical thought dries up. The ability to think critically atrophies dries up and can no longer be utilized. Zombies. uh, they They can't do it anymore. They've lost the capability to think for themselves. And once that's happened, it's never easy to revive that uh, personal judgment and critical thought ability. It's not just simply going to come back and uh, reappear magically once the propaganda has been suppressed. And he says that this is one of propaganda's most durable effects. And according to him, in in his mind, years of intellectual and spiritual education may be needed to restore the ability to think for oneself to think critically. Once you've abandoned that ability and that trait, it doesn't just come back. And this is terrifying to me. Personally, this next line says that the propagandee, if deprived of one propaganda, will immediately adopt another. It's going to spare him the agony of finding himself alone to interpret some event without a ready-made opinion and obliged to judge for himself. (laughs) I've said before, that terrifies me. I'm going to repeat that. The propagandee, if deprived of one propaganda, will immediately adopt another, sparing him the agony of finding himself alone to interpret some event without a ready-made opinion and being obliged to think for himself says this is one of the reasons why the propagandee, as soon as he is separated from his group, disintegrates morally. He needs the quote-unquote collective morale in order to exist. I don't know if he means morally as in his morals disintegrate or his morale, but he does say the collective morale. So, in other words, maybe the person gets, I think what he means here is the person actually becomes depressed. Once he's separated from, well, I know that's true. Plays into the need. There's a need for propaganda. That's coming. This next part will sound really familiar to you. At the same time, propaganda presents facts and quote-unquote values in such confusion. And with so many methods, it is literally... Impossible for the average man to proceed with discernment. He has neither the intellectual capacity nor the adequate sources of untainted information. He is therefore forced either to accept or reject everything in total. This is Data Overload. This is Jonathan Haidt. This is Nicholas Carr. This is Neil Postman. This is Marshall McLuhan. This is Jefferson. The man who knows nothing is closer to the truth than the man who believes falsehoods. The man who's uninformed is probably closer to the truth than someone who's trying to be informed is choking on data and is forced to take a doctrine in total because he lacks the cognitive ability to sort through all of this data, to judge all of this data for himself, And even if he did, he doesn't have access to the proper information, to untainted information. He's making judgments based on tainted information anyway. How can he possibly cut through all of that? He can't. This is the crime of the data overload. This is the failing of the current events man who's addicted to data. Who's a, who thinks he's keeping himself informed when he's polluting his own mind and his own ability to think because he's ingesting too much goddamn data. This is the cyborg. This is the modern man who thinks he's smarter, who thinks he's more informed, who thinks that he's got a better handle on anything, or on everything, I should say, than anyone who ever lived. But he has no clue He understands less than anyone. When it comes to the actual term understanding, he understands less than anyone has. He knows a little bit about everything, he knows a lot about nothing. He's a generalist, a generalist who never bothers to dive beneath the surface. He's only skimming the top. That's why, again, we call it surfing. Bounce, bounce, bounce. Horizontal thinking. From thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Getting someone else's interpretation of events. You cannot. I don't care who you are, Einstein. I don't care who you are. You can't take all of this data and all of this information and process it. You can't. There are three things that your mind can simultaneously do with any effectiveness. Your mind can handle three things, three tasks, and up to three beyond one, if you're focusing on more than one thing. The second thing you're less effective at. And the third thing, you're even less effective than that. Beyond that, you're not doing anything. And This is why when you start ingesting it, you get bombarded with this data and this information What generally happens, what typically happens, is you just basically generalize. You get a feeling for it. Oh, this makes me feel good. I'll keep this. This makes me feel bad. I'll keep that. You don't ingest it. You can't ingest it. You cannot fucking process it. You just attach a feeling to it. Good or bad. I don't know. I don't understand this. You go find something else that's simpler, that you can understand, that you can attach one of these binary feelings to. That's what you're doing when you think you're staying informed. Emotive conclusions. And he says that we thus have reached the same point via different routes. On the one hand, propaganda destroys the critical thought, the ability to critical think. On the other, it presents objectives on which that faculty could not be exercised anyway. And thus renders it useless. So it destroys the ability, and even if you keep the ability, you can't use it. Because you're confused and you're drowning in horse shit. Obviously, that leads to the elimination of personal judgment. Critical thought altogether. And it takes place as soon as the individual accepts public opinion as his own. Public opinion is group opinion the opinion of the tribe, the echo chamber, the cult. And then when he expresses public opinion, (laughs) in his own words and gestures, he no longer expresses himself, but his society or his group. Now, of course, he offers that the individual always will express the group, more or less. They're always going to do that. But in this case, He's going to express it totally and in response to a systematic operation. A systematic operation. He's been manipulated systematically, scientifically, intentionally in a specific direction. It's done on purpose. Public opinion when produced by propaganda is artificial. It is inseminated. It is artificially inseminated. You have no idea whose ejaculate has spawned to life and hijacked your mind. I'm envisioning something from the movie Alien here. <laughs> Except it's in your brain and not your chest. Whatever has happened, whosever thoughts these are, ever ejaculated them into their brain and allowed them to grow and take on a life of their own, they are not. Do you know whose they are? Do you have any idea whose thoughts you're thinking? Edward Bernays has some theories on this. (laughs) You talk about the shadow government, and it's not a conspiracy. It's the people that put out the planks, the platform, the talking points, the DNC, the RNC, all of it. Do you think children in cages just spontaneously started to be (laughs) bleeded out on the same day, at the same time, all by itself? You've seen the examples of this. If you're a liberal, you've seen the examples of this. They've, they've, You've seen the videos where Fox News and these other Republican or conservative outlets will be saying the same thing over and over and over again, yet for some fucking reason, you don't notice it when your side does it. There are people who are behind the scenes. This isn't tinfoil shit. There are people behind the scenes crafting these ideas. Do you remember the guy? I wish I could remember his name. God damn it. Uh, he was a guy that worked for the George Bush administration. He was one of these propagandists. Literally was a propagandist who would come up with ways to phrase things to get a visceral reaction out of people, to make things sound better than they were. Like, he's the guy. He didn't want it to be called um, an estate tax. He's the guy that suggested Republicans call it a death tax. Do you remember who I'm talking? I can see the guy's face. Uh These are the folks who are jacking with your skull. And if you think he's the only one, (laughs) well, he's not. When it comes to this public opinion, this adopted group opinion, there is nothing authentic or organic about it. But it is precisely, precisely this artificial opinion, this inseminated opinion, this artificially inseminated opinion that the individual absorbs. Once he's filled with it, he is no longer expressing his ideas, but those of the group, and with great orgasmic passion at that. In fact, it's a propaganda requirement that he should assert these ideas with fanatical firmness and conviction. We've seen that, right? He absorbs the propaganda's collective judgments, like the nourishment, which they have, in fact, become He expounds them as his own. He takes a passionate and committed stand, and he begins to oppose others as a result of it. I'm going to read this pretty much verbatim. This next line says that the propaganda asserts himself at the very moment that he denies his own self without realizing it. When he recites his propaganda lesson and says that he is thinking for himself, When his eyes see nothing and his mouth only produces sounds previously stenciled into his brain, when he says that he is indeed expressing his judgment, then he demonstrates that he no longer thinks at all, ever, and that he doesn't exist as a person. When the propagandee tries to assert himself as a living reality, he demonstrates his total alienation most clearly. For he shows that he can no longer even distinguish between himself and society, his congregation. He has no autonomous identity left. He is then perfectly, perfectly integrated. He is the social group. The congregation is him. There is no intellectual autonomy left. There is nothing in him not of the group. There is no opinion in him that is not the group's opinion. I can think of a hundred of you right now. Your thoughts are homogenous. With everyone else in your congregation, you have no original opinion that deviates from that of the group. I could think of 500 of you. You give me an hour, I could make a list of 500 people off the top of my fucking head. There is nothing in him not of the group. There is no opinion in him that is not the group's opinion. That is the primary symptom of someone who's been alienated from themselves. Nobody thinks that alike on anything. No one. If you do, well, there's nothing that I can say that will convince you anyway. Continuing on, he is nothing except what propaganda has taught him. He is merely a channel, but ingests the truths of propaganda and dispenses them (laughs) with the conviction that is the result of his absence as a person. I love seeing my own shit in print, man. Thoughtless opinions spawn amateur propagandists. Thoughtless opinions spawn amateur propagandists. Let me read it again. He is merely a channel ingesting the truths of propaganda and dispensing them with a conviction that is the result of his absence as a person. You cannot take a single step back to look at events under such conditions. You just can't do it. There can be no distance of any kind between him and propaganda. You cannot step back and look at anything objectively. This is Emerson's conformity. (sighs) Emerson's conformity, how conformity is a blind man's bluff. It says nothing about you. It says nothing about who you are. You're conformity. You're not a man at this point. You're a fabricant. You're not an autonomous entity at all. Your mind has been hijacked. Your thoughts have been hijacked. You are a drone acting out someone else's ideas and opinions manufactured and inseminated into you intentionally for a specific result touched on this a little bit ago alienation generally corresponds either to projection into and identification with a hero and leader uh-huh or to a fusion with the mass the group the mob a fusion with the mob becoming a cell in an alien organism Yet, these two mechanisms are not mutually exclusive. Good example here. When a Hitler youth projected himself into his Fuhrer, he entered by that act into the mass integrated by propaganda. When the Komsomol surrendered to the cult of Stalin's personality, he became part of the mass, a cell in the political education organism. And this is important when the propaganda believes believes to be expressing the highest ideal of personality. His, (laughs) His greatest individuality. He's at the lowest point of alienation. This is fascism, barking that it restored personality to its place of honor. Height's got a great quote in his book. I'm not going to read it to you. It's long enough today, but he shows that very well through one channel or another, the same alienation is produced by any propaganda. The creation of a hero is just as much the result of propaganda as the integration of an individual into an activated mass and vice versa. The integration of an individual into an activated mass is also just as much the result of propaganda as the creation of a demagogue or hero. Two different results to the same thing. The only thing you're lacking, hippies, with your larger social justice organism as acting as your heartbeat, boom, 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 is the demagogue. And then you're going to be fused, you're going to be injected, inseminated with the hero worship, just the same as Trump Town is now. This reminds me, I said this... Um, 2013 or 2014. One of the things that I saw early on, Trump isn't just, he, he doesn't exist in a vacuum. He's the natural sort of um, result of tea baggery, starting in like what, 2009, right? And I said, I think it was either in 2013 or 2014. I may have said it on the podcast back in 14, five years ago, that the only thing that was lacking with the far right was a demagogue. That as soon as they had somebody who could bring it all together, they were going to become incredibly dangerous. <laughs> well, I never imagined it would be this orange fuck. But clearly, I was right. Now, I'm seeing you fuckers, you hippies, you far-left batshit jobs. I'm seeing you in exactly the same light. The only thing you need now is a demagogue. Where is it? If it follows the pattern... He's coming soon. Or she is coming soon. And then you're going to be just as fucked up and dangerous. In fact, I think you already are. Because your fanaticism without the demagogue, I think it exceeds where the right was five years ago. I really do. All we need is dueling demagogues. Won't that be fun? Wasn't that something to look forward to? when propaganda makes the individual participate in a collective movement it not only makes him share in an artificial activity an artificial a fake activity it also evokes in him a psychology of participation a mob mentality it's a psychological modification which automatically takes place in the presence of other participants You get together with your buddies, your political pals. You easily slide into it. The the crowd psychology. It is systematically. Now, this is important. It's systematically produced by propaganda. It is the creation of mass psychology, mob mentality, groupthink, the group mind, where the individual psychology, the individual critical thought, the ability to think for oneself is deactivated when it's integrated, when the individual is integrated as a cell into the larger organism, when it becomes part of a crowd. Your individual autonomy is deactivated and you become a cell in that larger organism a cell that doesn't act on its own. It's controlled by the group mind. It thinks according to the group mind. This is self-evident. This reminds me of the Bernays quote. I mentioned this in the last podcast. I think it was the last podcast. Edward Bernays said that a man can be part of a mob while sitting on his couch with the curtains drawn. Something I have long suspected that you don't need to be part of a physical mob an organic mob in the streets with your pitchforks. You don't need to be there to be part of a mob. His book was written in 1928. A man can be part of a mob while sitting on his couch with the curtains drawn. He wrote that in 1928. How do you think he'd feel about the Internet and social media? Cable TV. TV news. How do you think he'd think about that specifically? What do you think he'd think of 8chan these days? Oh, but I'm thinking by myself. I'm thinking for myself. I just happen to agree all this. Shut the fuck up. In this process of alienation, an individual loses control and submits to external impulses. His personal inclinations and tastes give way to participation in the collective. He's assimilated into the Borg. Resistance is futile. He's no longer a man. He's no longer a man. He's a cell again, and under control of another completely different organism. Then the Propagandee finds himself living vicariously through an intermediary. (laughs) He feels, thinks, and acts through the hero, or is under the guardianship and protection of his living God. The God of social justice. The God of cosmic justice. The external God. (gasps) cosmic justice he accepts being a child ceases to defend his own interests oh I'm looking at you you cocked Uncle Toms he accepts being a child ceases to defend his own interests for he knows his hero or his social justice God loves him so And everything his hero decides is for the propagandies, the Uncle Toms in this case. I'm looking specifically at you fuckers. Everything that the god of social justice decides is for your own good. Hmm. He thus compensates for the rigor of the sacrifices imposed upon him. To the bottom of the social totem pole with you, Whitey. Now, of course, you can see the He becomes a child relationship to Donald Trump. Do you see it with the God of Cosmic Justice, though? Huh? 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 Do you see it, Whitey? Huh? Oh, you're right. I am privileged. I am white, privileged. I'm white male, privilege. I'm bad. I'm 30. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what my grandpa did a few 200 years ago. It's my fault. Jesus fucking Christ. In this connection, one can really see alienation, you think. The regression into an infantile state caused by propaganda. I'm thinking of the guy that I went down to fucking uh, Mexico with in 2015. I watched this dude. I've told this story before. Sitting at a hostel in Cancun. He walks up. I'm having a conversation with some chick. She's a lesbian. Not that it matters. (sighs) But he just walks up, butts into the conversation. I would like to apologize for my entire gender. (laughs) Regression into an infantile state. It's a funny story. I got really drunk that night. We were sleeping in a tent out behind the hostel. Trying to save money, right? I went and climbed in that tent, woke him up, said, I want to punch you in the fucking face. Freaked him the fuck out. He went and found another place to sleep that night. Lost complete, complete respect. No dignity whatsoever. None. <sighs> Continuing on with the material, <laughs> there is an opinion, that of a someone named Young, that the uh, propaganda no longer develops intellectually, but becomes caught and mired in infantile neurotic patterns. Regression sets in when the individual is submerged in mass psychology. According to that familiar guy, familiar by now, Mr. Stetzel, he says propaganda destroys all individuality, is capable of creating only a collective personality, and that it is an obstacle to the free development of the personality. Homogenous thinking, you're a fucking fabricant. You don't know what the fuck you are because you're just like everybody else. Just like everybody else, except for how you package your homogenous thought. Of course you're an Oh, I'm an individual. Look how I said this. There. <laughs> it's like if you were to take a Bible verse. He's rephrasing the verse. Doesn't make you an individual. It doesn't mean you're thinking. Just simply because you can rephrase, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. Dude made this shit first. That's thinking, that's creative, that's that's intellectual activity, In, intellectual autonomy? <laughs> I don't think so. Hmm. This degree of extensive and dramatic alienation uh, is not rare either. In case you thought this was an acute case that he's describing? No. Hmm. Not extreme, not pathological. Unfortunately, he says this is a common type. Even in the acute state, it's common. Everywhere we find men who pronounce as highly personal truths what they have read in the papers only an hour before, and whose beliefs are merely the result of the powerful propaganda. I'm going to repeat this line because I think we can bring this forth from 1965 to 2019 pretty easily, don't you? Here we go. Everywhere we find men who pronounce as highly personal truths what they have read in the papers only an hour before, and whose beliefs are merely the result of the powerful propaganda. How many people do you know who are posting their Huffington Post nuggets of wisdom and truth, pronouncing them as fact there are people that do this shit with the onion. Don't even realize it. Come the fuck on. And yes, you can apply that to Breitbart or the Blaze or Sean Hannity. <laughs> it's everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere we find people who have a blind confidence in a political party. General. A movie star. He uses this a lot. Country cause. And who will not tolerate, will not tolerate the slightest challenge to that God, that avatar, that belief, that cause. Everywhere we meet people who, because they're filled with the consciousness of, quote-unquote, higher interests, that they think they must serve even to death are no longer capable of making the simplest moral or intellectual distinction or of engaging in the most basic reasoning. They are hijacked, committed to the higher power. The higher power guides them. Or someone else's interpretation of that power. And all this is acquired without effort. It's acquired without effort, without experience, without reflection, without criticism by the destructive shock effect of well-made propaganda. Then he says we meet this alienated man at every turn and are possibly already one ourselves. I've got a piece here that would go really well right here, but I'm going to give it its own episode. Not the solitary man. Besides alienation taking place when the rational individual retreats into the irrational collective, there are other forms of alienation as well. These will sound familiar to you. How about the artificial satisfaction of real needs? How about the opposite? The real satisfaction of artificial needs? Oh, I think we're awash in that. Don't you? the second of which the real satisfaction of artificial uh, needs he compares to publicity and advertising. But in the first example, propaganda is sometimes spawned from the current sociological situation, thereby giving a man artificial satisfaction for his real needs. says that because man is restless and frustrated, because he understands nothing of the world in which he lives and acts, of course he doesn't, he can't, Because he's still asked to make very great sacrifices in his life. That's why propaganda develops. To soothe his troubled soul. I mean, Joseph Goebbels said explicitly, propaganda should reduce frustrations. Should artificially resolve real problems. Artificially resolve real problems. Announce future frustrations as well. Frustrations to come when they can't be avoided. So on and so forth. Satisfies these needs, but with the illusion of fake satisfaction. Provides explanations for the world, yes, but they're deceitfully spun and irrational. Reassures, excites, or outrages him. Provides explanations. They did it. The bad man did it. These bad people are doing this. Can make him tremble with fear of some biological warfare that never did exist. Or make him believe in the peaceful intentions of countries that have no desire for peace. Liberating the Iraqi people, weapons of mass destruction. This also provides reasons for the sacrifices demanded of him, but they'll never be the real reasons. He uses the example of 1914 with World War I, how people were called upon to lay down their lives for their country, but the propaganda remains silent on the war's economic causes for which these people certainly would not have fought. I think we can uh, safely apply this to the Iraq war as well. Propaganda satisfies man's needs for release and certainty. Release and certainty. Eases tensions, compensates for frustrations. Eases tensions and compensates for frustrations. This brings me to what was going on this weekend. Tensions and compensates for frustrations. One of the roles of propaganda. But it does so with purely artificial means. For example, the example he uses is a worker, a laborer. Given his actual economic situation, uh, would feel frustrated, alienated, exploited. Propaganda, if done well, alleviates him by making him oblivious of his frustrations and his uh, alienation. And by calming and satisfying him. You can see this at work. Probably, if you think back to the 1950s, propaganda here. But it's still at work today. You can see it in advertising. You can see it all over television, man. How you need this, how you need that, The, the image of success, what you're striving for, what your life is supposed to mean as you go to work, 50 hours a week to pay bills, wash, rinse, repeat. There are, hmm... I could go in a very significant direction here. Actually, there's more on this coming. How it makes people oblivious to to frustrations and alienation. Basically, anesthetizes. Their tensions, their cognitive dissonance about what they want out of life and where it's going and what they're doing with it. Also, when he's subjected to the abnormal conditions of, say, a big city, a battlefield, has reasons to feel tense, to feel fearful. And out of sorts, he says that propaganda adjusts him to these conditions and resolves his conflicts artificially, psychologically, without changing his situation in the least. And he says that is an element of propaganda that is particularly pernicious, vile. He says that, of course, it seems like a cure, but it's like the cure that would heal the liver of an alcoholic in such a way that he would continue to get drunk without feeling pain in his liver. Propaganda's artificial and unreal answers for modern man's psychological suffering are precisely of that kind. They allow him to continue living abnormally under the conditions in which society has placed him. This isn't natural. This isn't the natural state of man. There are going to be psychological frictions there. And propaganda is very useful for numbing that. Suppresses the warning signals that his anxieties, his maladjustments, his rebellions, and demands once supplied for him. I have talked about this for 10 years. I know exactly what the fuck he's talking of. I don't need a fucking book to talk on this. I've been doing this since 2007. 12 years. I called it the splinter in the mind. I called it the voice. These psychological maladies. I've experienced this firsthand. These are the things that drove me basically out of radio and out onto the road. These are the things that you can blame for me sitting in your eardrum, sitting in your headphones right now. I understand this stuff perfectly fucking well. And it's probably why I think that I am uh, more sensitive to this stuff than most people. Again, I could spend a month I'm talking about this. I've tried it on the other podcast. i tried it a few different times. But the problem is is that most of you don't have a frame of reference here. But if you understand that last line, where is it at? But if you understand that last line, how propaganda suppresses the warning signals that his anxieties, maladjustments, rebellions, and demands once supplied, if you understand the idea behind unreal answers for modern man's psychological suffering, Allowing him to continue to live abnormally under the conditions in which society has placed him. If that resonates with you, good. Good for you. If there's any young people out there who are under the age, I don't know, 35. That's young to me. That probably makes a whole hell of a lot more sense than it does to older people. Follow it. You're not wrong there. I promise. I must continue. Beyond that, he says that uh, modern man deeply craves friendship, confidence, close personal relationships. And this gives value and effectiveness to the technique of propaganda by personal relationships. The personal relationships that come with being part of propaganda's group, the larger organism. Because people are plunged into a world of competition, of hostility and anonymity. And this opens a door. Because he needs someone whom he can trust completely. He needs real friendship. And someone to whom he can mean something in return. Meaning. These things he says are hard to find in daily life. In 1965, I... Oh... In online existence, I would say, they may be almost impossible to find. But apparently, confidence in a leader, a hero, a movie star, or a TV personality was much more satisfying to him. This is going to sound archaic. I'm leaving it in here for a reason. He says television, for example, creates feelings of friendships, a new intimacy, and thus fully satisfies those needs. But such satisfactions are pure illusion, fallacious fantasy, he says. There is no true friendship of any kind between the TV quote-unquote personality and the viewer who feels that personality to be his friend. He says this is a typically mendacious satisfaction of a genuine need. Typically fake, deceptive satisfaction of a genuine need. He's talking about television. This was 1965. Do you suppose? Do you suppose? In 2019, these digital friendships, these digital relationships that we seem to indulge in online all the fucking time. These digital friendships are not quite the same thing as the organic ones. Hmm? What about uh, social media influencers? Huh? The illusion that you're part of a community. The illusion when your, your social media influencer interacts with you. Oh, are you friends with him now? Are you getting the illusion of friendship? Of course you are. Creation of online avatars, man fake digital renditions of ourselves. That's who you're interacting with. You're not interacting with a human being. You're interacting with the digital projection of what that person wants you to think they are. You know this on some level. You're not having a real organic interaction you're not satisfying the evolutionary need that we have for human companionship you are not getting that online and the more time you spend there the more time you rely upon that for your socializing not saying all of you do this i understand most of you have lives outside of this but a lot of people don't a lot of people get their, their socialization, their primary source of socialization, friendship, they get online. Do you think that has a psychological effect an impact of some sort? If you're glued to your fucking phone all the fucking time, I say yes. Online personality, reciprocal. These influencers, these online personality, they're getting their followers, their status this way. I'm just saying. There might be a psychological effect there. I don't know. Maybe it's worth looking at. You know, this is something I was thinking about the other day. When you talk about how people need real friendship, need to mean something to someone in return, that kind of thing. People you can trust completely. There was a time, not so long ago, (laughs) before the digital world became so large and so all-encompassing, right? where your sphere of influence of organic people was small. I don't know how many people, pick a number, 100 people, that you would interact with, you would see, and you would um, congregate with on a semi-regular basis, maybe, right? So with these 100 people, you had a feeling, a real feeling, that you were significant in some way to these 100 people. What happens... When that sphere is expanded globally, how insignificant in relation to how we evolved inside of a community, inside of a family unit, inside of a circle of organic friends that we actually laid eyes upon occasionally, how does that affect us? How does that make us feel in relation where we've gone from one of a hundred to one in a billion, do you suppose that has some psychological effect of making people feel less significant, even though they can reach more people and be part of a larger group now? Would that have some effect, some negative effect, in giving people a sense of meaninglessness? It's worth thinking about these days. I wonder... (laughs) That has something to do with people feeling so insignificant and so worthless that they think it's better to lash out and go out in a blaze of glory. It's something to think about. Continuing on, he says, Propaganda also creates these artificial needs. This is the flip side of the coin. Going from uh, artificial solutions to real needs to creating artificial needs themselves. This is propaganda creates political conflicts that would never arise by themselves, but for which public opinion will then demand a solution. <laughs> this sounds familiar, doesn't it? It arouses in us an increase of certain desires, prejudices, and quote-unquote needs, which were by no means necessary to begin with. It manufactures new needs that were not there before. They become so only as a result of propaganda, which here plays the same role as advertising. Beyond that, propaganda is also helped by advertising, which gives certain twists and manipulations to individual drives. There's a horrific book called Love Marks that talks about advertising. I've mentioned The Century of the Self as well. This thing on YouTube, it's terrible. It's it's terribly done. The production value, shit. It's taken off of VHS tapes, but it is incredibly insightful into how these certain twists and manipulations of individual drives are exploited by advertising and thus propaganda in political realms. Propaganda extends the effects of advertising by promising psychological reliefs to tensions in general. Oh, we've seen that at play this week, huh? It creates these tensions and then promises the psychological reliefs to them. It's pumped these images of these shootings into your homes, into your phones. It's wound you up. It's created these tensions that the world is a terrible place, despite the fact that 30 people out of 320 million were killed this weekend. You now, I've seen this, you now are afraid to go to the store You now are afraid to go to church because of all these shootings. Oh, my God, I don't feel safe anywhere. We've seen this repeatedly. People saying this repeatedly over the news channels all fucking weekend long. That is a direct result of this being blown out of proportion, creating artificial tensions. If 30 people died in a lightning strike over the course of this weekend, would you be afraid to step outside? These are the people who watch Shark Week. And are afraid to jump in a lake. Because of what lurks beneath. It's creating an artificial tension. In your mind. It's making you afraid. Irrationally afraid. To do certain things. To do ordinary things in your own life. Like go to the store. Or go to a fucking church. Because of certain things that have happened elsewhere. That they've made feel like. happen all the fucking time. Everywhere you go. And the pernicious part of this is that they're also providing the solution. Of course they are. Of course they're raising these tensions and these anxieties because they have something to sell you, a political doctrine, one way or another. And they're doing it on the right as well, and not without a little help. The people on the right are raising the tensions. They're coming to grab your guns. Well, we're here to protect your Second Amendment rights. It is so clear. It's so easy to see. If you can detach just a little bit from it to see how you're being exploited and manipulated. Watch the commercials. If you need another reason, well, why would they do that? They want to sell you dick pills. They want to sell you a solution to the ideological problem, the problem of keeping your family safe. Well, vote for a Democrat then. There's your solution. <laughs> and It works. Under the impact of propaganda, certain prejudices, racial or economical, political or sociological, certain needs, like for equality or success, these things become all devouring. They consume you. Destructive passions. They become destructive passions occupying the entire range of a person's consciousness superseding all other aspects of life, and then they demand answers. Because you're all consumed by it, they demand a solution. These are the social justice warriors. Religion under siege. On the other side. Oh, how about the war on Christmas? Remember that? Sharia law coming to Oklahoma. The invading peasant horde from Central America consumes some people. Gotta have a solution. Build that wall the gun crime epidemic we're experiencing now. Is it an epidemic? Is it really? Is it really? As compared to 30 years ago, are you sure? Are you sure about that? Or are the events just more dramatic now? And are they showing up on your devices and on your television screens with more dramatic effect than they ever have? Which is it? Is it really an epidemic? Or is it just being dramatized to better effect now? I mean, these events are huge. I I agree. I I totally agree with that. But there's an element to that as well. Why are they so much bigger? Because the, the larger the body count, the more notoriety the perpetrator gets. But is it an epidemic? Is it an epidemic? Are your children, are your children really less safe now than they were 30 years ago? The statistics, the numbers say, no, actually, they are safer now top to bottom, than they were 30 years ago. You're being spun. You're being riled the fuck up. So they can sell you a solution. So they can provide the answer. They're creating the problem. They're creating the fucking illness to give you the cure. These superficial tendencies end up by becoming identified with our deepest needs, and become confused with what is most personal and profound within us. End up becoming identified with our deepest needs. Identified with our deepest needs artificially, and then become confused with what is most personal and profound within us. In this psychic confusion created by propaganda, propaganda alone then imposes order. Just as mass communication media creates new needs, for example, the existence of a television, well, that creates the need to buy a TV and then turn it on, doesn't it? Huh? Smartphones, internet connections. Well, if you've got all this access to information, you need a smartphone. Well, if you need a smartphone, you got to have a data plan or an internet connection all the time. Huh? It's even more the case when these means are used By propaganda creating new needs. And then he says, just as uh, propaganda acts to create new needs, it also creates the demands for the solutions. This is obvious. Your kids are in danger. I demand a solution to this. Already shown how propaganda can relieve and resolve tensions. These tensions are purposely provoked. (laughs) purposely provoked by the propagandist who, like a swindling doctor or snake oil salesman or any home security company these days, holds out the remedy at the same time. Think about these home security commercials. If somebody tried to sneak into your home and invade your home, threaten your children, they're holding out the remedy to the created tension, the created problem, the created danger in your fucking life that was not there beforehand. Advertising in conjunction with national media propaganda. And national media propaganda in conjunction with advertising. They help each other out here. And perhaps the best indicator of whether or not someone is a propagandist is if they simultaneously play the role of both agitator and minister of the saving scripture, the solution. At the same time, if the propagandist has provided a particular tension, It may have been simply to lead the individual to accept a particular cure. To demand some suitable action from the propagandist viewpoint. And to submit to a system that will alleviate the tension. Create the tension so you'll submit to a system that will alleviate the concocted tension. The old advertising trick of manufacturing the need to sell your solution. The propagandist plops the person into a fabricated rhetorical universe of artificially created political needs, needs that are artificial even if, even if, even if, they're still artificial even if their roots were once completely genuine. They don't make the shit up completely. Not completely. There may be genuine needs there. This is Goebbels again. They use facts. They use real information. There were shootings. These are not made up. These are not, you know, false flags. These things actually happened, but they've been exploited. They've been spun to overinflate the tension created by them so they can sell you a solution to them. He uses the example of creating class consciousness in the proletariat. Remember, 1965 Soviet Union. And he said that the propaganda added a corresponding tension to the workers' misery, the proletariat's misery. Concocting an equality complex. Oh, this is great. They concocted, in the old Soviet Union, an equality complex, adding another dimension to all the natural demands of the have-nots. They had real problems, but then they created an equality complex to add another tension to it so they could, yeah. (sighs) Propaganda simultaneously offers the means to reduce these tensions. Opens a door to the individual. It opens a door to the individual. It opens a psychological door to you. It's one of the most effective propaganda devices there is. And all it really offers is a profound alienation from yourself. When an individual reacts to these artificially provoked tensions when he responds to these artificially created stimuli or when he submits to the manipulations that make him repress certain personal impulses make him repress certain personal impulses to make room for abstract drives and reduction of these tensions he's no more himself than he is when he reacts biologically to a tranquilizer It'll appear to be a true remedy, which in fact it is, but for a sickness deliberately provoked to fit the remedy. It's a weaponized psychological virus for which he alone holds the cure. These quote-unquote artificial inseminated needs assume considerable importance because of their universal nature and the means by which, the mass media, which they are propagated. They're universal. They're disseminated. They're propagated by the mass media. Then they become more demanding, more important to the individual than his own private needs, even rights, and then lead him to sacrifice his own private needs and satisfaction. In politics, as in economics, the development of artificial needs progressively eliminates personal wants and needs. One's actual own self-interest is substituted substituted for by these artificial needs. What takes place is truly an expulsion of the individual outside of himself. It's designed to deliver him as a psychological beast of burden, a slave to some abstract external force. And on this level as well, the more the individual is convinced that he thinks, feels, and acts on his own, the greater the alienation will be. A person hypnotized by propaganda behaves as though his reactions depended on his own decisions. (laughs) He obeys, he trembles with fear, he flies into triggered outrage, metaphorically expands or contracts on command, yes he does, but nothing in this obedience to him feels passive or automatic. Even when yielding to suggestion, you can see this all over the place on Twitter, he decides, quote-unquote, for himself, and thinks himself free. In fact, the more he is subjected to propaganda, the freer the individual thinks he is. He's energetic, chooses his own action. (laughs) In fact, propaganda, to reduce the tension created in the first place, offers him one, two, maybe even three possible courses of action. (laughs) This is great. And then the Propagandee considers himself a well-organized, fully aware individual when he chooses one of the three that have been provided for him. You can have a Twinkie, a Ho-Ho, or a chocolate chip cookie. Wow, I really would like a Twinkie. Of course, this takes little effort on the Propagandee's part. (laughs) The Propagandee does not need any energy, really. Uh, to make his choice for that decision, corresponds with his group. Yes, it does. Corresponds with the group, with suggestion, and with sociological forces. Corresponds with the larger organism. Under the influence of propaganda, he always takes the easy way. He always takes the path of least resistance, even while coasting downhill. He claims he is climbing uphill and performing a personal heroic act. Oh, yes, he does. Propaganda has aroused his energy, his personality, and sense of responsibility. Or, rather, their verbal images. Projections. Because these forces themselves were long ago destroyed by propaganda. His energy, personality, and sense of responsibility. Sense of personal responsibility. Personality were long ago destroyed by propaganda and replaced with something else. This duplicity, Alul says, is propaganda's most destructive act. The destruction of the individual, the destruction of intellectual autonomy, personal autonomy, destruction of the individual itself and replaced with something else. He calls that propaganda's most destructive act and says it leads us to consider next propaganda's effect of psychic dissociation. It gets worse. Because now that you've been replaced, now that you have been inseminated with somebody else's agenda, propaganda thoughts, opinions, however you want to look at it, then you can suddenly be triggered to act against your own value system. Creepy, isn't it? Hey. listen to the escaping the cave podcast christophermedia.net that's the network also escapingthecave.com the cave.com etc pod at twitter too did you catch that huh did you catch that did you listen to what i just played did you catch it oh you're welcome if you didn't you're sol i'm not going to explain it to you i am not anyway This podcast is going to be an epic one. It's going to be a long one, but I've got one more chunk for you that I want to talk about. I wrote this a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about or thinking about it. In the middle of the night, actually, I (laughs) picked up my phone and dug out my notepad and uh, punched this out in it because it ties into the stuff that I'm talking about today with alienation. Because when you're dealing with people who have been alienated from themselves and they have been inseminated uh, by somebody else's thoughts, somebody else's opinions, somebody else's sort of cognitive framework. Engaging them is a colossal waste of time. Again, they don't know that they've been inseminated. They do not know that their minds have been hijacked. They do not understand. They think they have found some universal organic truth all by themselves, and you're not going to knock them out of that. It's encased in granite. The switch is. You can plant a seed. I'm not saying you shouldn't maybe plant a seed and find out if maybe there's a little bit of, you know, original cognition left in there that maybe the, the the seed will take. But beyond that, it's a waste of time. It's a huge waste of time, and it's only going to lead to frustration. More conflict, really. Because if you're like me, you're just going to get frustrated. And I was reading a piece, uh, that tri- the, the piece that triggered this was, actually it was a, a Twitter thread of all things, on the uh, immorality of generalizations. How people, you know, shouldn't generalize and They shouldn't stereotype people at all. Of course, on paper, or wrapped inside of an anonymous Twitter proclamation, that sounds all well and good and downright noble. I'm with you. I understand that. But once the fart smells drift away, what remains reeks of one of those shoulds that's on par with the utopian dream world. You shouldn't generalize, really? Are you sure about that? In this day and age, are you sure? Are you absolutely positive? Look, we generalize. We do, as people. We stereotype. That's why propaganda stereotypes are so effective. We're prone to that anyway. It's how we evolved. We all do it. Because no one, not me, not you, not anyone, has the time or the interest to, and engaging in 7 billion cases of personal, special, individualized nuance. Nobody has the time or patience for that, or the ability to do it. This dude also put forth the idea that one shouldn't, again, there's one of those shoulds, shouldn't judge for themselves the motivations and true intents of others when you're engaged in political discussions. That is the (sighs) height height of ridiculous, ostentatious self-righteousness itself. Or you shouldn't judge for yourselves the motivations and... Really, dude? Really? Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Look, I, I just silently sort of lurked in this thread. I didn't jump into it at all, but I desperately wanted to ask this dude, this practitioner of global nuance, if he's been in a fucking coma for 15 years or what. I gave him the benefit of the, maybe benefit of the doubt. Maybe it was his first day online, although he had over ten thousand followers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there, I'm sure there are plenty of people online, whose intentions are completely divorced from any sort of ideological missionary work. I'm sure they're out there, but I cannot think of a better example than that right there, where a few million pad apples ruined personal nuance and the benefit of the doubt for everyone. If you've been online for 15 years, you know how this works by now. You know you can tell when you've run into a fabricant. When nuance, individual nuance, is a staggeringly futile waste of time. bottom line for me, anyway, is this. In this day and age... A day and age, by the way, that I think is going to be called Propaganda's Golden Age. You know how we had the Gilded Age, we had the Renaissance. This is going to be the age of propaganda, the propaganda golden age. I submit that name uh, as a candidate for this time in which we live. Propaganda's Golden Age. In this day and age, it's ridiculous to expect, let alone demand, acts of unquestioning nuance of anyone. And it's usually hypocritical. If you follow it far enough, it turns out to be hypocritical because the people who are usually demanding this, you don't know me, are usually, oh my fucking God, they're just projecting because they know that they're unoriginal as fuck. They just want you to focus on their ostentatious repackaging of doctrine of something else they picked up somewhere. Look how I reworded this so cleverly. I'm smart. No, you're not. Polly want a cracker. That's what you usually find from people who are demanding, you don't know me, nuance. Usually. Not always. But usually. If you follow the ones demanding the nuance and keep track of them, that's typically what you're going to find. Ultimately, you're probably going to find that they're hawking something themselves. Something repackaged. Something recycled. And yes, maybe I am generalizing. Maybe. Okay. I'm still right. You know what I'm talking about. You do. I know you're living in should land. Remember Lenny Bruce. The truth is what is. What should be is a fantasy. A terrible, terrible lie. Someone gave the people long ago. Maybe it shouldn't be this way. Maybe it shouldn't be that you have to do this in order to keep yourself sane. Maybe it shouldn't. But it is. It's the most effective way to weed out the bullshit. Just get the doctrinaires away from you. Get the alienated clones sequestered away so you can better use your time and your efforts. I mentioned what uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's If I Know Your Sect, I Anticipate Your Argument line. I mentioned this repeatedly over and over and over again because, like so much else written in decades and centuries past, technologies democratizing the creation of information and content has stripped these supposedly archaic ideas naked, and thrown them on public display for all to see. This was written in the mid-1800s. If I know your sect, I can anticipate your argument. Everybody being on public display, putting themselves up out into the public square atop, their soapbox has laid that bare. If I know your sect... You're homogenous. Therefore, I can predict your argument. And shit like this has been coming up over and over and over again. How useful some of these supposedly archaic ideas really are. And this is something that I picked up long before Emerson. He just articulated it really, really well. But I picked it up on this like 10 years ago. During 10 years of virtual warfare online, it became not only easy, but necessary at some point. For me to dismiss anyone advertising their sect, say, with a blue wave or MAGA. I know what you stand for. I know what you're going to say before you say it. I don't need to go beyond your blue wave, your MAGA hashtag, some biblical quote attached to your profile. Or some other virtue signaling tribal symbol defiantly decorating. Your digital representation of yourself. By now, I know what I'm getting. And unless you're drunk on nuance or flat-out stupid, so do you. You know what you're getting from people. From these tribalized folks. You know exactly what you're getting. You know what the ideas are. It doesn't matter. Really, Honestly, it doesn't matter how they repackage it. You know the fundamental argumentation before you engage in it, because the propaganda long ago rendered their group's homogenous thought predictable. If they are willing to brand themselves, I personally am more than happy to let them do it. The only mystery, the only drama involved, the only thing being learned, is how these intellectual fabricants spice their generic brand word soup. That's it. Of course, these modern-day virtual I don't know, text orators believe themselves to be engaged in the finest tradition of debate and discourse. Yes, they do. To them, their inseminated thoughts are organic and original truth bombs, independently crafted from the wisdom they acquired from hours of research at the University of HuffPo, Blaze Community College, or St. Jezebel's School for the Mentally Challenged. We've gone over this today. Of course. Of course they think they've gotten to this truth Mm, organically they haven't and to me after seeing the same fundamental orthodoxies verbally repackaged in elephant themed wrapping paper for more than 10 years and more importantly feeling the shame of realizing that i did it myself it's become redundant performance art that's all it is man these are political missionaries engaged in the tribal dance of rhetorical fuckery (laughs) The tribal dance of rhetorical fuckery, sometimes cleverly ostentatious fuckery, of course, to be sure. (laughs) Once you've drilled deeply enough and the crust of self-righteousness and ostentation has been passed, the core bedrock of the idea, the idea itself, is recycled rhetorical fuckery nonetheless. That's what it is. No matter how it's repackaged, the idea is the same. Now, sadly, in this is the age of the pre-programmed current events man, who's overdosing and you know choking on the vomit triggered from non-stop mainlining of distorted and disconnected data, generalizing not only works out of necessity for him because he can't possibly critically process even a fraction of that information. It's also worked to generalize and crystallize his own cognitive output. He has become the stereotype himself. That's basically what this episode is about. You know what he's going to say. His thoughts are like everyone else's because they're coming from the same propaganda spring. The source waters are the same. Therefore, they cannot deviate much. So, no, generalizing the self-stereotyped caricature is not, is not, is not a vice. Sorry. In fact, if you value your time, it's a fundamental and essential skill that's actually needed, required to avoid stepping in massive piles of virtual elephant shit, polluting not only the internet, but discourse in general. This is what I've called the useless shit epiphany. I also call it the Durden principle. No distractions. The ability to let that which does not matter truly slide. In order to make room for that which actually does matter. Right? Letting fabricants hijack your precious time and valuable attention robs you of engaging in your own thoughts or the thoughts of, you know, people who are actually thinking. Actual organic human beings. Those seekers who actually matter. Those looking for real answers. Those asking real questions and asking the right ones at that. You're literally giving political frauds and intellectual imposters the deed to part of your life. You're letting them reside on your couch. You're giving them a key to the front door and letting them come in and hijack life whenever the fuck they feel like it. Think about that. Think about how much time you're wasting on people who are just reproductions of everyone else. I don't know the percentage of people who fall into this category of fabricant. Alienated sectarians is what I've come to call them. I don't know how many people, relatively speaking, there are who are like that. I know there's a lot. I know they're everywhere. They're everywhere online anyway. And I also know that a lot of the people that behave this way on the internet also when you sit down with them and you have an organic conversation you can kind of cut through that a little bit i've seen that happen when you get them out of the out of the arena when you get the gladiator (laughs) back to the villa and he's not putting on a show for rome quite often you can reach him at least temporarily. And whether or not it sets, it doesn't matter. You're not, you're not there to think for them any more than they're supposed to be letting anybody else think for them. They're there to, to think for themselves. You can give them ideas. You can point them in, in the right direction. Or in a different direction. Or maybe just point out that maybe they're not thinking for themselves and encourage them to, to do it for themselves. They are not there to agree with you. And I want to make very clear. I want to make this abundantly clear. That I'm not looking to convince people of anything to agree with me on a certain issue. All I want, the only fucking thing I want, is for people to think for themselves. If they come to a separate conclusion, a different conclusion that I personally disagree with, fine. I don't care. I will respect the fuck out of the fact that they're doing it originally. That they're doing it organically. And you know what? I probably will listen to that. But I'm sure as fuck not going to be listening to anyone just regurgitating the same shit over and over again. If, you, if I see you online and I look at your little fucking profile and it says that you're a proud Democrat or a proud liberal or part of the resistance or MAGA, or any, I'm not going to listen to a goddamn thing you say. I am not going to pay attention to anything you have to say. In fact, that has become the very first thing that I look at. Whenever I see some screed online, some proclamation online, the first thing I look at is whether you have self-stereotyped yourself by decorating your profile with these cliché billboards, these virtue-signaling billboards advertising your inseminated beliefs. If you have that, if you've done that, you are useless to me. You are useless to everyone outside of the mob. You are a cell. A cell in another organism. You are no longer your own human being. You are no longer an autonomous individual thinking for yourself. Therefore, you are irrelevant to me. And quite honestly, everyone else. You don't matter. You've been assimilated. You've been bored. You've been bored. You've been bored. Congratulations. I hope that was your dream as a child. If it was... Way to go. I would like to assimilate into a bigger organism than myself. Did you tell yourself that when you were seven? Yeah, way to go. If not, where the fuck did life go wrong? I understand it. I understand how this happens. I understand that people are susceptible to it, and there are a lot of reasons. I shouldn't be too condemning here because, by God, a lot of this is evolutionary. A lot of this is psychological. A lot of this is hardwired into us. Why we are susceptible to this. There's going to be a lot from Jonathan Haidt coming on this. A lot I wanted to get to today, but this episode ran too long. I couldn't do it. But I mentioned in the other episode, the last episode, I called us liars. That I just said, you know, people are fucking deceptive. People are fucking liars. And you probably twitched like, huh? I'm not a liar. I don't lie to myself. I don't lie to my wife. Yes, you do. <laughs> we all do it. Via these motive judgments, these snap conclusions we come to, and these post hoc reasonings and rationalizations, association words, associative things, like if somebody's attacking you. He uses a really good example. Like He he talks about his wife complaining that, uh, I don't know, he left dishes on the counter or some shit. And as soon as He heard the phrase, I've asked you before, too. He got defensive, and he came up with a complete bullshit story about why he left those dishes. Oh, I had to do something with it. It was all bullshit. It was all bullshit, and it came out of his mouth before he realized what was happening. It's the automatic, it's the inner attorney (laughs) that's there, almost like a PR agent, to make you look good. To justify your behaviors. Self-justification. Self-justification, self-justification, self-justification. It leads to deception. And half the time, most of the time, I dare say, because he does, we don't even realize we're doing it. We're so good at it that we still think we're being honest about it. while we're doing it. We're bold-faced liars. We're so good at this. That we can convince ourselves that we're being honest while we're fucking lying. This is the mechanism. This is the mechanism that propaganda uses to hijack us. Hacking our own minds, hacking the back door in the firewall, using emotive judgments and post hoc reasoning and rationalization as a Trojan horse. To inseminate these emotive judgments into our mind and letting the natural process take over for us. In some sense, in some weird sense, if you're if you're if you've been propagandized and you are a propagandee, you are Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You have the uh yeah, the policy in place, the point of view, the perspective on which direction to go, and you let the elephant take over to reinforce and promote said policy put forth from the quote-unquote White House. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, all these press secretaries that you hate should terrify you because in some way they are a mirror of this process. Does that bother you? Does that terrify you? It should. Again, evolution is messy. We have another phase Of evolution coming our way, whether or not we are fucking ready for it. I promise you. This episode was long. I've been waiting to get this one out for a long time. There's more to this. There's the, uh, oh, what was it? The, um, oh, oh, I'm getting tired. Dissociation. (laughs) There's more to it than that as well. The Need for Propaganda. We may be taking a break on this. I think uh, Chris and Rich are going to be sitting in with me this week to talk about this weekend and some other things. So I may take a little bit of a break on this, but there will be more episodes coming later on in the week, even if I do. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, check out the website at uh, escapingthecave.com, also Chris's network, for all of your podcasting needs. Christophermedia.net. <clears throat> and if you want that Twitter shit, whatever, Pod at Twitter. I wouldn't recommend it. It's boring. All I do is post podcasts. That's well, something you want to say, fine, but I'll probably ignore you if you're a dumbass. <laughs> Sorry. Just the way it goes, man. I got to exile these alienated sectarians. I've got to keep them exiled. Prove to me you're not one. Maybe I'll let you in. Maybe I'll stamp your passport back into Tanzila's stand. We'll see. Till next time. So long.